Good morning, Grace Church. It's good to see you. Uh, such a privilege to be here. Just as we open the word of God, I would love to pray together. So would you join me in prayer? Jesus, we come before you and ask that our eyes would be open to your grace. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do a transforming work in our hearts. And Father, I pray that you'd be glorified in every word that is spoken out of my mouth this morning. In your precious name, amen. Amen. Well, welcome <clears throat> this morning. You have overcome the double whammy Sunday of snow and Super Bowl. Uh, I know the Super Bowl is not on right now, but I know the amount of preparation it takes to make sure that you're in your most comfortable sweatpants, the snacks are as close as possible, so minimal movement needs to happen. Uh, and I'm excited for the Super Bowl. Personally, I'm rooting for the Bengals because I love a good underdog story. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, I Now, you may not know this about me, you probably don't, uh, but most of my adult life I spent in South Africa, living there uh, as a missionary in South Africa. Now, in South Africa, they care nothing for the Super Bowl. I'm sorry to break this news to you. And they also regularly would question me as to why we called it the World Series when the world did not play, but one nation, in fact, played in the World Series. Uh, because they had one sport that they cared about more than anything, uh, because there is really one sport that matters to Africans in Africa, and that is football, and by that I mean soccer. Yes, amen. And <clears throat> they have a couple of big events. The World Cup, which is the global uh, soccer tournament, was, is the biggest one, but they of often or also have what they call the Africa Cup of Nations that just happened recently. And that is where different African nations send their national team and they all play each other, the ones that qualify. And so I remember one time the African Cup of Nations was happening and there was two West African nations playing each other. And so two of our staff were from one each of those nations and they thought this is a fantastic idea, we should watch this together. Let the reader understand that is not a good idea, right? <laughs> I see some friends over here that know this is not a good idea. Uh, and so they started, the teams are playing. Now, this is religion to them. So it's like Jesus and then soccer just right there. And so they're, they're watching this together. And of course, then you have to start poking at each other and making fun of the team. And then one team is up and the other nation scores and now they're up. And it's starting to turn from humorous to very tense. And one of them gets so mad, he leaves the house and walks out into the street. And the other one from the other nation follows him out in the street. That's not a good thing. It was not to give him a hug. <laughs> and then they started verbally sparring out in the street. And I kid you not, this happened. I know these people still today. The other one punched one in the face. These were full-time staff members of my Christian organization. 
Now it turned in, I did not see it, but I found out about it because the one that got punched went straight to the police station and was going to report his brother in Christ. And I had the unenviable job of trying to convince him that pressing charges would not be a great idea in this situation. I have to admit, I thought these people are crazy. And so I went to another friend that I considered like a big brother in the Lord. And I went to Moses and I talked to Moses and Moses, who calls me Dadam Dogo, which means little sister. And I, so I went to my big brother and I told him the whole story. And I thought, and I can say anything to him. And I know he might judge me in his heart, but with his words, he'll be very kind to me. And I said, I don't understand, like violence over soccer? This is crazy. And I literally said the words, what's wrong with your people? I'm being very vulnerable here, right? You're laughing, you're like, ha ha ha. <laughs> I don't admit these stories on stage, <laughs> but I do. And, and he looked at me and he said, the same thing that's wrong with your people. And I said, what? We don't punch each other over sports most of the time. <laughs> and he goes, oh no, you just have a different sport and it's called politics. <laughs> well, that hit a little too close to home, didn't it? <laughs> Jesus spoke to this reality. Jesus spoke to this reality and the reality is the the state of our hearts, the state of our hearts. And the title of my message this morning is Soft Hearts in Hard Times. And if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, I just want you to ask this question this morning and this week. In these hard times, is my heart becoming softer or harder? Am I becoming better or more bitter? What is the state of my heart? Now in Matthew chapter five, Jesus says these very challenging words when he was speaking to the crowds. And he says this, you have heard, this is Matthew chapter five, starting verse 43. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Challenging words from Jesus. And I want to highlight three things from this passage this morning uh, that Jesus is saying to the crowds and saying to us today. And the first thing is this. Jesus is saying that the Jesus way, following in the way of Jesus, is not natural. It is not natural. Here he was saying, you've heard that it said, you know, love 
your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus is highlighting that it is not natural. The way of Jesus is not to follow the natural inclination of our hearts. It is to follow another way. Because it makes natural, logical sense that if someone hates me, I have a right to hate them. If someone disrespects me, then that opens the door for me to disrespect them. Jesus said that. He said, tax collectors, Gentiles, the whole world knows this makes sense to live in this way. But he says, we're not following the natural way. We are following a different path. It is the path of Jesus. It's the way of God. That's not of this world. We do not look to what is natural to us, in order to know what to do, we look to what is the way of Jesus. And Jesus does not define love according to the natural inclination of the human heart. He defines love according to the love of God himself. Now, we think, oh, yeah, Jesus came along and introduced this new, crazy, countercultural, upside-down way of living. This has been the way of God from the beginning. It has always, do you know when Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, they had heard that, but Jesus is actually quoting scripture to them. He's quoting the book of Leviticus, right? Leviticus, right at the beginning of scripture where we think God is mean and angry. He's not. It says in Leviticus chapter 19 this. This is, I mean, this is crazy. This is not new. Do not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly and you will not incur guilt because of him. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. He is saying that the commands of God are simply to love your neighbor. It has been that way since the beginning. But of course, they took with their human heart said, oh, okay, we know Leviticus, the Old Testament says to love your neighbor. We know that. But let's just determine who our neighbor is. Let's just clarify that. Because you can't change the command to love your, love your neighbor, but you could just kind of refine it. And we know we need this correction because we continue to do that today. We continue to refine, well, God says we're supposed to love people, but let me just define which people and what kind of people and see if we can find any exceptions. Because it can't possibly be those people, right? It, it can't possibly be that. It can't possibly be people of that political party or that opinion about mass or that boss that treats me that way. Like, they can't possibly be my neighbor. And Jesus says, well, even if you call them an enemy, guess what? Love them. Love them. 
That's the way of Jesus. Listen to this again, verse 44. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on evil and the good and sends rain on the unrighteous and on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same. The way of Jesus to love has no exceptions. It is not natural. It is a supernatural way of living. But on top of that, in the scripture, Jesus goes on to say the second thing that's so clear. It's not only not natural, the way of Jesus is not neutral. It is not neutral. It's so interesting, it says that God blesses. We are supposed to love people as God loves people. We're supposed to bless people as God blesses people. And how does he do it? He just sends rain on every farmer that needs the rain. It's almost like he's a God of grace. He just, if you're a farmer who needs rain, whether you thanked him or you didn't, whether you're an evil farmer or you're a good farmer, he just does it indiscriminately. Be like that. And don't just be like that. It's not this neutral, well, I'm not going to hate them. It is this active to bless them in the face of their walking, not in the way of Jesus. It is not a neutral, well, you said mean things to me, so I'm going to keep my mean things in my heart. It is an active seeking out to bless other people. I hear a lot in this, in this world, like we live in a crazy world, right? It's, that's not a debatable issue right now, right? Have you ever thought, do you come to the end of your day or the end of your week and think, what is going on in this world? Anyone? Like regularly, I, I feel like that's just basically like the new Lord's Prayer for America. <laughs> Our Father, what is going on? <laughs> and some of the answers that you hear are so interesting. And one of them that I hear is what we need in the world today is more tolerance. We need a more tolerant society. Now, I don't dispute that. I think we could all be a little bit more tolerant of each other. But make no mistake that the scripture says here, and Jesus himself says, that tolerance is like the baseline standard. He is not saying be tolerant. He's Because that's neutrality. That's just saying, whoa, I'm just going to walk away and not say what I really want to say. He is saying, don't be neutral, be active in blessing those who curse you. Being generous to those who are stingy towards you. Speaking words of love to those who speak words of disdain towards you. It is not neutral, it is active. It is the opposite spirit of the world. When the spirit of the world zigs, we zag. We go the other way. Jesus actually took this farther right before he spoke this. Listen to what Jesus says right before he said to love your enemy. He says this in verse 30 and verse 38. He says, you have heard that it was said, 
An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow you, borrow from you. I read that and I think that is crazy talk. That is crazy talk. He is giving this extreme picture that we are supposed to be walking actively in the opposite spirit from the spirit of this age. That is your calling wherever you go in this world where we wonder what is going on. To be people who actively love other people who are speaking ill of you. I actually was talking about this to someone and they said to me, Oh, well, you're just one of those liberal hippie Christians. Peace and love and joy. He goes, I remember the 70s and the 60s. This is not liberal hippie Christianity. This is Jesus Christianity. It is walking in a different way. Because we are thankful that Jesus didn't call us the path he was unwilling to walk. Aren't we glad, because it is connecting this way that we walk, saying whatever Christ did for you, you are supposed to mirror that. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't just tolerate you? Aren't you glad that Jesus isn't just neutral towards you? Aren't you glad that while you were still a sinner opposed to God, he was actively going to the cross when we didn't even recognize it? That's our calling, to do what he did so that a watching world can say, this must be what their God is like. I was looking at the newspaper recently, and... I look at all sorts of uh, different news sources because it's just interesting to see different perspectives on the exact same event. I, th I always think, are they even, did they look at the same event? It's very different. <laughs> and the, I was looking at the New York Times, huge paper in the United States. And on their front website, they had an article that said something to the effect, um, Radical dinner parties, changing communities one dinner at a time, something like that. And I thought, what is a radical dinner party that changes communities one dinner at a time? So that piqued my interest. So I clicked there, spent one of my five free articles for the month, <laughs> and read this. And it was a whole article on this new idea, apparently, that's spreading across America, where people invite, wait for it, they invite someone who voted differently than them over to dinner, and they just have a nice dinner together. That's the whole thing. They don't even talk about politics, they just have dinner together. And I thought, in a nation that is full of Christians, this is a radical idea, that's sad. 
in a nation that's full of people like us who serve a Jesus who was accused of eating dinner with the wrong people. Right? That should be what we're known for. Because we're not called to neutrality, we're called to active love and blessing, walking in the opposite spirit. And the third thing is this. The first one is the way of Jesus is not natural. The second one is that the way of Jesus is not neutral. And the third thing is this, that you may have guessed this or wondered this, but all of this should lead us that the way of Jesus requires new hearts. If these things are true and if Jesus is serious about what he's saying, the truth is that the way of Jesus actually requires new hearts because we cannot do this on our own. We have all sorts of ways that we work around the way of Jesus in loving our enemies and our neighbors alike. And have all these little tricks and hacks, like let's be more tolerant, or this is one that I find interesting. If you, when you know when you meet someone, you're like, oh man, they are really hard to love. And someone says, well, I bet if you knew their story, You ever heard that? I bet if you knew their story, right? Because we basically need to feel really sorry for them to love them. They need to have a very sad story for me to actually love them. (laughs) What if they don't have a sad story? Jesus says, love them. What if they actually had a great home life growing up and they're just actually a jerk? Love them. Have a soft heart towards them. We need new hearts. Because loving our enemies is what turned us into children of God. In all our excuses, all our ways of saying, well, not them, and not this way, and if you only knew, and well, if we do this, we're gonna get walked all over. I've heard this too. We gotta stand up for ourselves. We gotta show them who's boss. Our weapons are not of this world, but they have divine power to tear down strongholds. All our excuses cause us to confront. We actually need new hearts because it takes incredible strength and a radically different perspective to walk in the way of Jesus. It takes incredible strength and a radically new perspective. And the good news that all along this was promised to us. This has been promised to us from the beginning. That we were not saved by his grace in order to just have really great self-control and not say mean things to our not so nice coworker. We were saved by grace and given new hearts and new lives and we are new Christians who are born again into a new creation life. 
Ezekiel promises this in Ezekiel chapter 36, and I think if you have been around the church, you probably have heard this. In Ezekiel, Ezekiel prophesies this, that we would experience this in our day. He says, for I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and will bring you into your own land. And I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. He is going to take our hearts of stone and give us a living, breathing, feeling, loving, compassionate, tender-hearted heart. That's what he has for us. He did not just save us to send us to heaven. He saved us to make us a new creation who lives like him so that we can be conformed into the image of Christ so that you can be the you version of Jesus here on earth. That's what he intends for you. Paul takes this in Ephesians chapter four and he says it this way. Ephesians chapter four, verse 32, he says, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Are you tender hearted? Can that be said about you? Are you someone who is looking around at this world and saying, what is going on? And allowing the hardness of the world to make your heart hard. Or are you allowing the spirit of God to make your heart soft in hard times? Are you someone who has allowed the divorce you walked through to harden your heart? Or has the hard and difficult and painful road you walked softened your heart and you came out softer on the other side? Because Paul says, be tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Because the way of the world is, well, they didn't forgive me, so I didn't forgive them. They didn't love me, so I didn't love them. They didn't say nice things to me, so I'm not saying nice things to them. And Paul says, we forgive as Christ, we forgive others as Christ forgave us. I don't forgive people as they forgave me. I forgive people as Christ forgave me. I don't love people as they love me. I love people as Christ loves me. I don't bless people as they bless me. I bless people as Christ blessed me. I do not be tender-hearted towards people because they were tender-hearted towards me. I am tender-hearted towards them because Christ is tender-hearted towards me. 
This is radical in a world and in a nation that is allowing our hearts to be hard towards one another. It is a radical, shining light in a hard-hearted world. In a world where we feed ourselves on controversy and allow our hearts to become hard towards people we've never even met, feed yourself on Christ so that when you meet them, you will be ready to bless and care and love. Be that Jesus follower. You think, well, that's not gonna get us anywhere. (laughs) That's not gonna get us anywhere. We need to be tough. Let me tell you a story about some really tough Christians that I admire a lot. And that was the early church. A lot of times we wanna go to the book of Acts and say we wanna live Any of you think, I'd love to live in the book of Acts. That must have been so exciting. Of course, all we're looking at is a growing church. We're not looking at anything else they went through, right? (laughs) And all the messes that they lived through. And when, in the book of Acts, it tells the story of what we call Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers after the ascension of Jesus into heaven. And thousands of people were added to their numbers daily. But let me tell you, thousands of people in the big spectrum of the entire Roman Empire, it wasn't much. It sounds impressive to us, but it wasn't much. In fact, there have been researchers that kind of calculated how many Christians right in those first 30, 40 years after Pentecost, how many there probably were, according to scripture and according to what other historians at that time were saying. And they calculate that at the beginning of the New Testament church, they were 0.02% of the Roman Empire. 0.02, not 0.2, not 2.02. A tiny, tiny fraction. And then those small percentage of Christians, as they were expanding rapidly, but still in the spectrum of the entire Roman Empire, was just a tiny handful of them. They started going through and walking in the privilege of being a Jesus follower, meaning that they were intensely persecuted. Intensely persecuted. We say we're persecuted today. We may be opposed or disliked, but we are not persecuted in America, I'm sorry. People may dislike us or oppose us, but persecution, let's be a little cautious about that, especially when we look at what the New Testament church went through. They had the Roman Colosseum. If you go to Rome, you can still go to the Roman Colosseum. And they would take the Christians and use them for entertainment. One of the things that they would do to the early church is they would take sheep skins and they would put them on the children of the Christian families, little five and six-year-old boys and girls. 
and they would force them to run out into the middle of the Colosseum, and then they would put lions and wild animals, and a crowd of thousands would watch as those lions would pounce on those children in those sheepskins and eat them alive. They had a Caesar named Nero. Nero was known as the cruelest of the cruel. And he was certifiably insane. And they didn't have electricity (laughs) during that time, right? So how, if you are a big, uh, powerful ruler, going to have parties at night without electricity and lights and all that? So he decided that in order to light up his parties at night, he took Christians who they had arrested, and they dipped them in oil, and they would light them on fire in order to light up his parties at night. That's what they were doing. They would imprison them. They would jail them. They would go through economic persecution. They would lose their jobs. People would refuse to buy from them or sell to them. It was an intense, intense time. Things that people still today go through in different parts of the world. Now, within that, if you look at right before 100 AD, when they calculated it was 0.02%, by 300 AD, you know how many Christians there were? 10% of the Roman Empire had become followers of Jesus. 10, that's crazy. From 0.02% to 10%, and it just started multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. How did they get there? How did that happen? Now, when I was growing up in the church, in Sunday school, we called it Sunday school, We call it different things now, but we called it Sunday school back then. And in Sunday school, we memorized verses. And I'm confident if you grew up in church and you were a young kid, you memorized this verse. And that verse is what? John 3.16, right? You all know it? Depending on what church you went to and what translation you had, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have Good Sunday. Your Sunday school teachers would be very proud of you right now. <laughs> that is, there's no controversy. That's the most memorized and quoted verse by young children in churches in America, right? We all memorize, and it's a great verse. It's a great verse. In the early church, they went through and they had sermons, writings, letters of what they would pass around in the early church. And they had a John 3.16 that was quoted far and above any other words of Jesus, any other scripture, anything like that. I mean, multiplied, it was quoted all the time. They said it in every sermon. They spoke it in every gathering. They were constantly quoting this verse. Do you know what that verse is? It's the verse we're talking about this morning. Matthew chapter 5. It's the words of Jesus. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. 
all the little Christian kids in the early church memorized that verse. They preached it in their gatherings. They prayed it as families each night as they gathered. That was their John 3.16. That is what fueled 0.02% Christians to become 10% of the Roman Empire because they looked at them and they said, no matter what we do to these people, they love us. They pray for us. They're tender-hearted warriors. We can't make them hard-hearted. It's almost like they've been given these different hearts. The gospel in America is not going to go forth because we hate the right people and we've determined the right enemies. It's going to multiply into the lives of a watching world because we are like Jesus. And we do not let the ways of the world become our way of Jesus. And we do not let the hardness of the world and the accusations of the world make us hard-hearted. No matter what they throw at us, we stay tender-hearted, forgiving as we have been forgiven in Christ. I promise you, the tools of the world are not going to conquer sin and death and the enemy, only the way of Jesus. Only the way of Jesus. We can never forsake it. In these times, I, uh, in the last two years, there's been a lot of opportunities to be really mad at people. Right? And you might, maybe you were mad at different people than I was mad at. Maybe we were mad at each other. I don't know. We didn't even know it. (laughs) It's been a lot of opportunity. And I could feel it getting inside of me. And I was not loving the lack of love that was coming out of me. And so I did what I do when I get a little like, this is not going well for Lindsay. You ever talk about yourself in the third person? That's when things are bad. Lindsay's not doing well. And so I went to an older, more mature Christian woman, because that's what I do. I go find them. And honestly, it was a little difficult at first to think, who can I go to? Because I looked at people 50 and over and they honestly seemed a bit more bitter than even I was. And I felt a little motherless in the faith because they, I would try to share with them and they would just tell me, oh, well, if you're mad at those people, let me tell you some other people we should be mad at. Because <laughs> this country is going down. And so I went to Miss Ruby. You don't know her, but I know her, and she is a woman that has walked through everything. And I thought, I'm going to Miss Ruby. She's got to sort me out, because she's been through it all. Drugs, addictions, painful relationships, being accused, being spoken ill of, poverty, having plenty, having nothing, the whole deal. So I 
text Miss Ruby and I say, can I come and drink your coffee? This is how you do this, by the way. Just say, can I come? And she says, you come, I got lots of coffee. So I go over there and she gives me coffee and I just start crying on her couch. And I said, I, I don't know what to do because my heart is getting so angry. And I said, I just want to know this. How do you keep your heart soft? Miss Ruby, how do you do that? And she started telling stories because that's what she does. So she's telling story after story after story. And then she goes, let me come back to your question. And then she started crying. And she said, I don't know, but all I know is the more I love Jesus and the more I know that Jesus loves me, I just cry more than I ever have. That's all she said. And then she just started crying, then I started crying. She goes, the older I get, the more I cry. I said, I want that, would you just pray for me? I just want that. So let me come back to my first question. Is the hardness of the world getting in you? Are your heart in these hard times becoming harder or softer? Are you becoming better and more like Christ or bitter and less like Christ? When you hear the words of Paul, a man who said he was stoned and beaten and betrayed even by other Christians, right? Because sometimes it's not the world. It's the other Christians. And Paul says these radical words, be tenderhearted, forgiving as you've been forgiven in Christ. Is that your story? My desire is that it would be. Because we don't need stronger, more people that know how to make a point. We need people who know how to have tender hearts and remain soft, having a radical shining light in a world that's full of darkness and hardness. Because the world pays attention to that, and that is the path of freedom for you. There is great joy and great freedom in not allowing the hardness of the world change who you are. Amen? Let's pray together. Just close your eyes. And I just want to take a moment before I pray. I would love for you to just ask the Holy Spirit, what's the state of your heart? Is there anyone, any issue, anything specific that you are more hard-hearted towards rather than tender-hearted? And just allow the Holy Spirit to just highlight something if that's there.
Jesus, we come before you. We just stand in awe that you are a God who loved us while we were still sinners, who forgives us, who cares for us. God, I pray that we would have a deeper revelation of your love, that we would be transformed by it. God, we need hearts of flesh to replace our hearts of stone. God, I pray in areas of our hearts where we have allowed bitterness or hardness, anger, resentment, to just marinate in some places of our hearts, God, I pray that you would highlight that to us. I pray that you would convict us so that we could be free. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do what only you can do. We cannot self-discipline ourselves into love and tenderheartedness. It is a work of your spirit. Would you renew us from the inside? Make us new again. God, I pray for those in this room that have walked with Jesus a long time. God, I pray that they would not grow weary in doing good, that they would not lose sight or become callous to your love. God, let us not be feeding on fear and controversy, but feed on you and who you are, Jesus. Oh, that we would see the reality of your love and your care for us. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Ray.